Welcome to the Chronic Spoonful Podcast, where we discuss real life with real chronic illness. Each week, we'll cover an aspect of real life spoony living and what that can mean for different chronic illnesses. We hope this will be a place you can go for updated spoony info and where you'll find humor because, you know, we're a little crazy, important information, and community. As a disclaimer, we just want to remind you that, yes, we'll be talking about chronic illness and health information, but we are not your doctor. Everyone's chronic illness is different, and we are absolutely not MDs, so we are not qualified to give you medical advice. We're going to tell you unequivocally to discuss anything we talk about on this podcast with your doctor. So hi, everyone. Um, Thanks for joining us this week. We have an awesome episode. We are joined by Carrie Corby. She is a therapist who works with a variety of, of clients of all shapes and sizes. We've actually asked her on the show today to talk about something that um, we're all kind of starting to deal with at the moment. Um, We've talked week after week about COVID and how we feel about COVID and the vaccinations and what's going to happen, you know, when people start to get vaccinated. And and I think it's really starting to hit us a little bit that, you know, we're, things are starting to open up. Like we've talked about states opening up and we've talked about, you know, states opening up a little early and, you know, relaxing mask mandates. And, and I think you know, we're all kind of starting to deal with a little bit of anxiety when it comes to that. So we've asked Carrie um, to come on the show uh, since, since, you know, she, she's kind of an expert in, you know, the the Mm -hmm. psychological aspect of things and to, to kind of cover some of how to, how to cope with this anxiety, what we're facing with this anxiety in in this post, I don't want to call it post COVID world, but post opening world or during opening world or whatever we want to call it, but, um, what we can do, how we can cope, what we're facing, um, the anxiety people are facing and how it's normal to feel anxious. So I'm going to turn it over to Carrie to kind of introduce herself, to talk a little bit about who she is, what she does, and then we'll kind of get into the, what, um, kind of the meat of the show this week and what we're going to talk about. So Carrie, can you inter- you know, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, why you got into this field and, and, and what excites you about talking to your clients? Well, I've been a licensed social worker for since 2009. I've been practicing probably since 2013, just licensed. Before that, I worked doing a lot of advocacy and case management with people with developmental disabilities in New York. Um, I think that's what opened my eyes to social work and just clients and people in general is that there were so many needs and I really love the clinical aspect of it, doing psychotherapy and different kinds of services. I, um, I focus on working with people with the autism spectrum disorder, but also I have a private practice where I'm focusing on more of a holistic approach. So I look at the whole person, not just specifically in the field of working with people with neurodevelopmental disorders and autism or learning disabilities, but also working with people with personality disorder symptoms and trauma, grief, um, a lot of kids with anxiety due to school and just a lot of issues going on with um, people losing their loved ones and the loved ones getting sick and 
having your own things that you're dealing with while having to work and live and raise a family during a pandemic. So really what I love is just giving people and helping people see they have the tools they need and how to use them. Um, and also that it's okay to not know what to do and to just have an ability to work through that at their own pace, but also at, with what they have. It's like, you do what you have with what you do, what you can with what you have. And if you don't, it's okay. And you have to start slow. My, one of my biggest things is oxygen mask on you first and slow and steady. Like that's just how it's mm -hmm. going to go all the time. And I'm someone who always will be like, wait, how did this happen? Well, I didn't put the mask on myself and I'm human. It's going to happen. Like this is not going to be perfect for anybody, whether you're a licensed social worker or not, we're going to be human and we're going to be like, okay, I got to do this again. Okay. I did it again. This is how it goes. We're in a pandemic and we have other things going on, right? Some of us have chronic illnesses. Some of us have post-traumatic stress disorder and a chronic illness. Some of us might have a chronic illness, post-traumatic stress disorder and autism. Wow. And we're in a pandemic. So what are we doing? We have to find tools and ways that we can do things in a way that we're able to go with what, what we're facing right now. And it's changed dramatically in the last year. I remember if you were to interview me a year ago, whew, I, I listened to the things that I was like, yes, this is what we got to do. And now here we are a year later. And it's like, yes, here we are. <laughs> I totally agree. And oh my gosh, I use that mask. I, I use the airline airplane oxygen mask analogy all the time, all the time. You've got to, you've got to deal with you before yeah. other people because you can't help other people if you're not helping you. Makes sense. Yeah. You can't have to put the mask on yourself before you put it on your child on a plane for a reason. Yes. If you don't have oxygen, you can't. So if you're, if we're not doing that minimally for ourselves, there's no way yeah. we're going to be able to do that for our children or anything else. Like, and obviously that's subjective, you know, it's not like, all right, black and white, this is what you got to do. But it's like, no, you kind of have to understand what your needs are, where you're at and what you're capable of doing. Agreed. Agreed. So in talking about that and in talking about people's anxiety and having to take care of their own anxiety um, and take care of themselves, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm going to translate that kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that into like the, the, the COVID and the pandemic. So we're in this pandemic We're we're starting, people are not people, but the government is starting to open things up. They're talking about, you know, basically opening the country up by July and having people vaccinated by July. So I think a lot of people who are listening have a lot of anxiety about that. Um, you know, what does that mean? How to, how am I going to fit into that? And when we have a chronic illness, especially like in Nicole's case, where she has an, an autoimmune disease, how do we cope with that anxiety? How do we, what are some coping mechanisms we can use when we're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready to give up my mask yet which I'm not ready to give up my mask yet, but, I. but like people have anxiety still about going out. People have anxiety about leaving their homes. What are some things we can do to assure ourselves that we can actually step out of our house? We just have to be safe about it. I think the first thing we have to do is understand what we need in order to do that. So for Nicole and for me, like we both have autoimmune disorders, but they're different. So her, for Nicole, I think what she would need might be a mask. Whereas for me, 
I need more sleep because the way I process stress impacts mine. I, I had Hajimoto's years ago, um, which I had to have my thyroid taken out. But with that stress impacts my medication level for my thyroid levels to work right. If I don't have sleep and I have stress that throws it all off. So for me, I, sleep for me is like, I have to have that in order to do that. I can go outside without a mask. I'm not at any, I am vaccinated. I don't have anything for myself. And this is me. I will wear a mask out in public. I will not go out without a mask, even though I'm vaccinated. But when the red, when the green lights on saying no more masks, I feel fine not going, going out without a mask. Other people may not, which depending on what illnesses they have or whatever mental, even like anxieties or whatnot, like, all right, let's be comfortable. What do you need to make yourself feel comfortable? Just because the government says mask free doesn't mean we're all going to be able to go outside mask free. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to wear the mask to the car and take it off there. See how I feel with that. How does my body feel? Am I able to do this? I'm going to go in the store. I don't know if I feel comfortable without that mask on in the store yet. I think I want to keep it on or keep it in my pocket or something. I think it's all going to be based on, and we have to listen to our inner self, like with that, just because everybody says you have, you can take it off. Doesn't mean we really technically have to, if you're feeling like this doesn't feel right, I want to have it on. Then you keep the shield on, you keep the mask on, you stay six feet from people. I mean, I'm sure I would be surprised if once everything opens, all the stickers on the floor to stay six feet away, all come up. Like I just can't, I could not imagine that we went this long, this far for everything just to be like, it's normal. Let's just pretend this didn't happen because that's not going to happen. Even if they do remove all that, like there's an impact on everybody that we're all dealing with in our own way. And we have our own fears and worries about that. So do you feel like we still have, so do you feel like this past year and a half has like impacted people to where we, it's going to take a long time before we feel like we are comfortable being near one another, being near strangers again, being near one another again, where people feel comfortable touching one another or even being within that six feet realm? Yes. I think I've talked to a lot of kids and adults who some of them right now are loving this whole staying home, not being around people. And then there's schools have resumed here. Um, I've been back in the office for a long time. Things are different, but in certain areas, like there's still, it's the same exact things. If you have a cold, you have to go home from school and then you have to get a COVID test and then you have to wait a week. I mean, that's still happening now. Yeah. So I, you know, like what's that fear of? I can't even have a cold without going in seeing a doctor without being asked 15 questions and they're going to open the country in two months. Like something's not right here. I'm kind of worried about what happens if they made a mistake and then they close it again. Like, what if this, what if that there's a ton of different things. Um, what we know is that we're more likely to have people with autoimmune disorders and just chronic illnesses are, are more likely to have more severe complications if they contract if they contact the virus through the public because of that, right? So mm -hmm. making sure we're doing what we're supposed to do in order to keep ourselves safe, I think is important even as things open up. Okay, so it's it's gonna take us longer than to, to get back to that physical connection, that physical touch that, um, so, so you're saying like, it's, it's okay that 
we're not comfortable yet, that we're not feeling like, oh, okay, I can, I can totally hug you. No, it's, it's not like I just went to a wedding this weekend. Everyone was vaccinated. Everyone, you know, had, was, you know, supposedly COVID free. Um, and everyone wore a button about how comfortable they were like being touched. So cute. Yeah. It was like, you can shake my, like, I'm comfortable shaking hands. I'm comfortable touching elbows or I'm comfortable being hugged or please don't touch me. (laughs) My button said, please don't touch me. And I was wearing a mask. Like I wasn't like, I was not comfortable with everyone, like just hugging me, which is sad because it used to be that way, like hug everyone, but no, not now. So, and it was interesting. Like there was no dancing at this wedding. There was no anything. It was sad, but also an awesome wedding. It was beautiful and nice. It was actually nice to be somewhere, but also I came home and I'm like, I need to shower everything off. I don't want to be around people. Um, so there's, there is a lot of anxiety about like, you want to connect, but at the same time, you feel weird about it. I, I feel like that's going to take us time. Yes. It's going to take a lot of time and it brings up some great, for me as a social worker, I work with a lot of, like I said, with the autism spectrum disorder and kids with neurodevelopmental disorders, as well as anxiety, they have a lot of their own thoughts and feelings about what's okay and what's not okay. Anyway, I work with kids who I want to give a high five to, and they don't want even to give a high five COVID or not. (laughs) Like, don't touch my hand. Like, I don't need a high five. Right. But they look at me like, great. She's going to expect one. She's so like high five. Cause I'm just, this is, that's who I am. You know? Yeah. There are kids who don't want to do that anyway. So really a good conversation to have with ourselves and with kids and whether it be in the classroom or anywhere is what boundaries do you need to keep yourself safe during this time? Yeah. What does that look like? Do you think that this has actually kind of almost brought us to a good place of saying, like, do you think it's actually kind of, I mean, I hate to say that COVID brought us to a good place, but do you think that like the opening up is actually going to bring up these really good conversations now everywhere about the comfort level people have with touch, with um, personal space and all that type of thing? I think so. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that is discussed. Are we going to be seeing it discussed in a lot of places besides social media and podcasts? Is this something that schools are going to look at? Like, this is important to have this. A lot of kids going back into in-person school are having a lot of anxiety because they're in classrooms now with tons of people. And some of them are experiencing panic attacks because they're just not wanting to do that. And they're having a hard time with every other seat or, and then every other day they're, you know, they're not in school and they do better learning, not being in a classroom with a lot of people, not realizing. I mean, I've talked to a bunch of different um, kids and age groups who are just, you get so used to having things the way it was during the pandemic. They realize, wow, I learned better this way, or I need to be in the classroom, but just not so many people. It's going to take time to change back to that old normal of a classroom of 20 to 30 people in it. 
I mean, we're not there yet. I think right now there's a limit on how many kids in the classroom and teachers and some kids have, are in school and their teachers in a whole nother room. So it hasn't changed for them at all. It's just different. You know, there's, I, there's I heard that. <laughs> yeah, there's something like zoom in the classroom and the teachers in a whole different room. So it's like, it's just interesting in every which way you look at it. And I think if anything, we're seeing how strong kids are and how resilient they are and distress tolerance skills when you have to kind of go with the flow. Um, I think kids are doing amazing yeah. at the fact that they don't have a choice. And a lot of the kids who I talk to and work with, like they're, they're using the coping skills that we're, we're providing and, um, and they're able to say this stinks, you know, I don't like this at all. Like, so let, let's talk a little bit about the coping skills you're providing. Cause I think even, even though like you're talking about kids in classrooms, I think these coping skills can also be useful for people as they go back to work, because I think a lot of people, especially, you know, we're, it's going to be hard. I think for people with chronic illnesses to adjust to going back to a regular work environment. I, I know for me, like it's been really nice working from home because it's allowed me to be more flexible with my chronic illness. Yeah. It allows me to like, you know, lay back and work on my computer when I'm having body aches and pains or take a nap at two o'clock and I'll just work later on in the evening to, you know, get the things done I need to get done. And so it offers me so much more flexibility. Um, and now being asked to go back to an office, I can't lay my head down on my desk at two o'clock when I hit that wall, you know, and I, and I get that exhaustion almost every day. It's, it's, it's very anxiety producing. It's very, it's very difficult to think about that. So what are some coping mechanisms that you think can translate from things you, you give those, the, give the kids that you could also give to people who are now thinking about having to go back into an office? I have been working with kids and adults doing belly breathing. There's lots of videos Sesame Street, I think even has one where it's like, you can just teach kids to learn how to do that. I myself have to do that at times when I'm feeling it to a point, like getting into the habit of letting your body breathe to let those feelings pass is very helpful, especially in a moment when you're just feeling so overwhelmingly anxious or just not even being able to explain how you feel. I use the feelings wheel a lot with kids to help so they can identify like how they're feeling. Cause a lot of them are like good or bad, you know? And it's like, no, I want a specific feeling from you. Like, let's look at this wheel. And then they realize, well, no, I'm just actually just frustrated or I'm embarrassed. And they're realizing like, wow. And once they put that feeling with that emotion, it kind of helps it go away. It's like, we're not just saying, oh, I'm mad and that's it. It's like, no, well, what are you feeling? Is it restlessness? Like, what is it? Uh, learning and teaching them how to identify what it is, which is frustrating for a lot of people. I know a lot of people are taught to stuff those feelings down, let it go, you know, let it go, move on. Like, no, like sit in your stuff. You have to heal it to, you have to feel it to heal it, you know? So you got to feel what that is. Get that wheel out, like figure out what it is you're feeling. And for me, I hate it. For myself, I want it to be a faster process so I can relate to my clients to be like, I wish it took two minutes to figure out, oh, I'm feeling like this and this is why. It's like, that's not the reality. It's not. But you read all about this, like feelings and thoughts, like processing them. Like it's not easy to do, but it works. 
it might take a long time to figure out, like, I am so frustrated because I haven't seen people for a year and I'm feeling really sad about it. Now there's grief with that, right? So some of that is grieving a life we had before that we don't have anymore. There's a ton of different emotions. So with that, I know like different kind of yoga works for some people. Some people don't like that at all. Taking a bath. That's an easy one. Just draw yourself a bath so you can just like be still relax. If that, you know, a lot of people like, oh, I'm going to get those bath bombs or bubble baths, like make it, make it what you want it to be. Crawling under a blanket, reading a book, just putting music on. I know a lot of kids like to watch YouTube videos or even like adults like to watch a lot of like TikTok videos, stuff like that. Like that might be a coping thing. I'm going to lay in bed and just kind of watch things that don't that I, I don't have to pay attention to or have like a TV show on that you don't really have to be totally invested in. You just, you have that noise. I like do it like grounding things, like five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can smell, two things you can taste, you know, like it's, and I'm, I know I'm saying it wrong because I'm doing it off the top of my head, but there's like different grounding where you're looking at all these different things. Um, and there's so many sheets that you can find just Googling grounding techniques. Pinterest has a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. And I know found some for kids where it shows like a hand and it's like, use your finger and go around each finger of the hand and go slowly, breathe in and out. It teaches those different things. And I know it helps just with slowing down because if you're getting out of your head and you're just in your body and just breathing, it's going to be able to help stop it. It's hard sometimes when kids are feeling, or even adults are feeling that overwhelming emotion to be able to do that. It, and it's definitely a conscious thing. We have to be aware to do. No, I think, I think all those are great. And I think, I think, you know, I, I know that I've used tapping, I've used breathing yeah. techniques. Um, I've used grounding techniques to help when I've had like full-blown panic attacks, because when I get panicked, I get physical symptoms I, or if I'm super anxious in my job, like my digestive system will go crazy. And then I end up on the floor in yeah. pain. So yeah. it's really important. I think, especially for people with chronic illness to manage their stress going into these things. So I, I think some of the things you mentioned are really good for grounding us even before sometimes we get into situations like really like grounding ourselves before we go into a meeting, grounding ourselves before we deal with a, a stressful situation, because we, it's really important for us to manage our stress before and during and after, because stress is such a, it exacerbates our symptoms in such a way that like it increases our pain. It, it'll, it'll trigger a flare. Yeah. Increase the brain fog. Yeah. Brain fog. Yeah. All those things. So it's so important that we have those coping mechanisms and coping skills for, for dealing with situations and, and part of it is going to be, and I think one of the aspects we have anxiety about, and I keep bringing up masks because as things open up and as things are relaxed, you know, we, we do put on masks because we try to protect ourselves, yeah. but as people stop wearing masks, we will be pointed at, we will be asked why we're wearing a mask why are you still wearing a mask? We don't have to wear masks. And it's going to be, we're going to have to have difficult conversations and know how to answer those questions. And that is anxiety producing. It's like people who 
park in in the handicapped parking and they no. have a sticker, but they don't look sick. I don't look sick on the outside. And so people are like, why are you parking there? You don't look sick. They don't realize the effort it takes to walk from that spot to the front of, you know, the store. So I think, I think there's a lot of anxiety there. So, I mean, me, I'm just an overall like snotty person. And I'm like, I'm gonna wear my mask and I don't care. <laughs> I'm on the front of my mask. I'm gonna wear my mask and I don't care about you. Cause I also didn't get the flu or a cold this year. Good so for I'm you. wearing a mask. <laughs> Good for you. And there's going to be a lot of people like me in my situation because I'm immune compromised and I have an autoimmune disease, but I'm also on um, immunosuppressants, which make it even worse. So, you know, from not knowing if I even, there's no way of testing. I just found out if, because I was on Rituxan and have no B cells, there's no way of testing to find out if I actually have immunity. So, which is really unfortunate because the tests out there now are only going off of if you have B cells and that's how they test if you have immunity. Since I don't have them, T cells also come into play, but they don't have a test for T cell immunity. So, or to, you know, how the T cells work with immunity. So I'm just kind of like, great, I'll be in a mask for the next two years. And it's very disheartening and (laughs) it's very anxiety producing. Right. And how many people does that impact? A lot more than we're hearing about, right? Yep. Yep. Right. But the, the, the key is though, is, is knowing that. And I think, I think Carrie, like your coping mechanisms and and what you're talking about are, are key to coping with that before, like knowing now that that's going to happen is really important because you know, you're going to have to leave the house for the next two years wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And you know, you're going to have to face the people that want to know why. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think in a way is like a good opportunity for me to educate people on chronic illness and about lupus and about autoimmune patients, you know, so I'll take that opportunity to do that. But people do. I mean, people over here, the ones that don't wear masks, they still point already. And we're not even maskless yet. And they're still pointing. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, you're not going to get close to me and kill me. (laughs) But I think, I think that's, that's us. Well, I think there's a lot of people that, that aren't you know, us that are freaked out by that. Like they don't want to be that. They don't, that, you know, they do care that people are pointing at them. They do. That is anxiety producing. Of course it is. So having, having ways to deal with that, I think, you know, Carrie, that's something that I think, you know, especially because you deal with young people, that is something that they're going to be facing really an impact on their self-esteem. I think. Yeah. Nobody wants to be singled out and pointed at or made to feel ostracized, you know, anything. I would say on the podcast that I implore people not to do that, but I think the ones that are going to be pointing aren't the ones listening. (laughs) (laughs) They will probably be the wearers of the masks. (laughs) Right. So yeah. Um, I implore the wearers of the mask to get the mask that says, I don't care. I'm wearing this anyway. Um, (laughs) Maybe with like some symbols that have some curse words on it. I don't know, but um, that's the one I would wear, (laughs) you know, but I, I do, I, I think, you know, I wish strength on people for that. I think coping mechanisms are really what people need prepare before you go prepared dirt for, you know, have the skills during the breathing, the belly breathing, 
you know, if you need the tapping, counting down. Yeah. Because sometimes anxiety comes in the form of anger, right? Um, what, do, what do, what's a good coping skill carry for people who, you know, when they get anxious, they react and they, they react with anger and not, you know, they don't retreat into themselves, but they get angry and lash out. Really a big thing is for being able to just kind of like take a step back before reacting. Some people can't do that. They have impulsivity issues where they're just like saying it. It's interesting because when you have like chronic stress, it's going to impact your mental health. And what it does to your brain is it causes a lot of similar symptoms of like impulsivity and just not being able to pay attention. And a lot of things really concurrent with attention deficits and with like fight or flight trauma responses. So if somebody gets angry and lashes out, is it because they were anxious? Is it because they were angry or is it because it was a trauma response and they just kind of responded? I mean, there's so many different reasons for why somebody responds a certain way. I'm not saying that it makes it right. Like lashing out is not appropriate, right? If they're going to start screaming, it's teaching them, okay, to identify when you start feeling like that, what can you do in the moment to stop yourself from lashing out? So really having some self-awareness in a sense of saying, okay, let's recognize your triggers. If you feel this way, what's a healthy thing you can do instead of what you did? And maybe they realize this after something happens. They lashed out. Next time, this is what I can do instead. I can walk away, tell the person I can't answer this right now, or I don't want to speak to you right now, or whatever the circumstances. I need a couple of minutes to gather my thoughts or... It's like, it, depending on what the like the situation is, but I think it's hard to have like a coping skill that's going to work for everybody. I know some people doing belly breathing, they're like, yeah, it doesn't work for me. Whereas somebody else loves grounding and their meditation is just being mindful and staying in the moment. And that works for them. Thoughts are only visitors. This is what I tell kids all the time. Thoughts are just visitors, you know, like let them pass. If you have like a negative thought, a lot of times when we're doing things and maybe we're not responding in the way we wanted to, I know a lot of people become very self-critical and then those negative talking starts in your head. Like, I can't even handle this. How am I going to get through the rest of the pandemic? Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't gonna work. And it's like, when those thoughts come through your head, it's like, let them pass. They're just thoughts. They're not accurate, but your brain's going to have you thinking they are, but they're not. Your feelings are valid, but you want to understand if your thoughts, which are not true, are, are creating these feelings or our feelings are based on facts. So it's, you have to sit in your stuff to kind of understand why am I feeling this way? And then that's a lot. And then it comes, goes through the whole thing with, okay, then I have to identify what my boundaries are. My boundaries are that I can't talk to my, I can't talk to my mother after I get home from work because she's going to demand something from me and I'm going to want to yell at her. So therefore, when I get home from work, I'm going to go right to my room. I'm going to lay down for 10 minutes. Then I'll go out and I'll talk to my mom or whatever the situation is. It's like okay. coming up with a plan that you're like, this is what I need. I can't do this right now. That's that. Or, you know, a significant other or a friend or whatnot. Like I have friends who I know I can reach out to or they can reach out to me at any time that I know it's like, all right, yeah, I can. I can be overwhelmed and still handle an interaction with them. And then I have ones that I know I need to be able to give them a hundred percent of my attention in regards to whatever the situation that they have is going on, that I'm going to need to let them know. I need to 
make time for them because I need my energies now. Like I know different relationships have different kind of weighing when it comes to what we know our boundaries are in certain days. For me anyway. It's so we, late. You, you would say like some friends require certain numbers of our spoons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But that mean that that doesn't mean that yeah, a lot of people think like, oh great. No, I think I think it's not bad. You know, like I think some people, it's like, it's the energy level you have to be able to do whatever it is at that yeah. moment, figure you right. So I'm not going to schedule a meeting, like a really intense meeting, nine o'clock in the morning, the day after I'm working till like, say nine o'clock at night. Like if I can stop myself from doing something like that, like I, that's a boundary I might have, right. I'm not going to, I want to give a hundred percent. Same thing with friends. When I'm done after a long day at work, I want to give my friends the attention they deserve. I'm not going to make that phone call with them nine o'clock that night when I know I can't give them a hundred percent of my attention to be that friend that they need and that I want to be. So it might be, you know what, let's plan a different day when I have the attention to, when I'm able to do that, because it's important to me. Agreed. Now, can you tell my old boss about the not scheduling the 9am meeting <laughs> no, no it's so funny yeah but it's like if I have control over it if I don't yeah. then I might have to go into that meeting and no but I need to bring my bullet journal and I need to write everything down because I am not going to remember anything uh, writing huh? things down is like definitely a coping mechanism for me because I am like yeah I'm not going to remember anything you said um, so yeah, I used to tell people and like, they'd be, we'd be walking in the hall and they're like, oh, can I, can you do this for me? Or can I get this from you? And I'm like, yeah, can you email me that request? Yeah. Because by the time I walk five feet from here, I'm not going to remember you told me that. Yeah. I, but so that, that brings me to another question about, um, kind of connecting with people in person we've done, and especially at work and stuff like that, I think people think when we talk about chronic illness, that everybody's at home and on disability, right? They think that that's everybody with chronic, when we say we have chronic illness, they immediately think we're talking about people who are basically bedridden. And that's just not yeah. the case. Like people with chronic illness are in your offices and they're working with you, with everybody. So I, I kind of want to talk though about like reconnecting with people in person, we've been doing, you know, social calls, work calls and all that. And I call them calls because they're over video, like video calls or zoom calls or whatever you want to call them. So we've been connecting with people virtually for, for now a year and a half. And I think it's kind of become so normal to us, um, that we, I, I don't know that we all remember how to connect with people in person anymore. So that's the kind of what I think a negative side, but then the positive side is we've been able to really connect with new people yes. that we were able to connect with before. So can we kind of talk about, a little bit about that kind of double-edged sword of when we go back to this quote unquote new normal, what's going to happen with some of those relationships? Cause I think some people have some anxiety about reconnecting in person and losing some of those virtual relationships. Yeah. I think it's interesting because for me, like personally, 
the virtual relationships were helpful because a lot of a lot of my friends and family lived far anyway. So even being able to continue that like face to face more so than just making phone calls and seeing each other a couple times a year. But I think a big thing is being able to go places and do things again, rather than just zooming or FaceTiming and playing video games. I know that's always a big thing that families and parents always want screen time down. Right. Right. Like they're trying to keep screen time down. I could say, I should say, um, some of this has helped some of these kids get through and some have learned some really good social skills through that. Like for myself, I was able to do a lot of group therapy sessions with kids to increase their use of coping and socialization skills during this time. And it actually was a great thing because a lot of these kids probably would not have done it if it wasn't on zoom, you know? So it's like kids who'd have a hard time socializing. It really opens up a way for them to socialize. So with this virus continuing and decreasing, I could see those relationships continuing, maybe for some kids and people who didn't really have a desire, but fine, you know what, I can socialize this way, this works. But then getting back to in-person and being like, I want to do these things again and realizing again, it's like knowing how you feel when this happens, are you going to invite like five of your friends over your house? probably not. You might only want to start with one or two, or you might be like, you know what? I'm fine with that. I think it depends on who we are. I know for myself, I was saying that at the beginning before we started today, just like for the holiday, like being around family, we're all vaccinated. We were all together, you know, wasn't a lot of people, but that anxiety I felt just from feeling like back in the normal, it just felt weird because it was new because we haven't done it for so long. But it's like having to get uncomfortable, get comfortable being uncomfortable is something we're all going to have to learn to do. And I think it's going to be hard because a lot of people and kids are going to be told you have to, you have to do this. This is a requirement, whether it be school or work or different things. And then what do we do with that? Like our feelings are there. We have to find a way to do that. Some people aren't, weren't able to go back to work because because of things that impact them, whether it be their physical or their mental health. So then we look at systems that are in place for us, like family medical leave. People need to take advantage of these things. It's not only about taking care of a family member, it's about taking care of yourself. So you need to look and be like, do I have a mental or a physical health care need? And one, I should not be ashamed of that. Two, I should be able to honor that because that's putting the oxygen mask on me. And it doesn't matter what other people think. My job's protected. I'm taking care of myself and I'm going to make this work. And we should be proud of that. But systems like that, unless you really are aware of those services, a lot of people aren't. And where they work, they have that. But it's not like when you call in sick, your boss is saying to you, are you okay? Like, you know, you seem like this is going on. Talk to HR. You have, we have family medical leave act. You might want to use that. Like these are conversations I think we should be having in our community where we work to be like, Hey, we have these things for you. It should be looked at as a benefit, not as like, Oh, you have to use FMLA. And, but it always, things have a lot of negative connotations with it. Outside of having a baby, outside of having a baby using FMLA is not looked upon kindly. Mm -mm. No, sometimes even having a baby isn't looked upon kindly either. So true. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Jobs are like, Hey, bottom line, we need, you know, whatever we're producing to be produced and everyone to be here, be here. And they're not always understanding, which is unfortunate. But I think with virus too, a lot of people are realizing 
what is the whole thing that kids say? YOLO, you only live once. Like this is my life. I'm going to live it and I'm going to live my best life. And I know for me, there's been so many changes over the last year that it's like, you know what? It's YOLO till the day I go, because I'm not going to spend my days doing things that, um, should be done or it's the right thing because other people say that if it goes against my values and principles for what I want in my life as a social worker, as a woman, as somebody who has maybe an illness and is dealing with my own personal like things that I want to do in a positive way, I'm going to make that happen. And if, if I'm supported, great. If I'm not, then, then I'm not. And, but it's not about everyone else. Right. And I think we're in a culture where we help each other. We work, we're team players, we do these things and we lose sight of like what we want in our lives and our goals. And really it comes down to what are your values? What are your principles? What do you need to do to make sure you're living your life the way you want to at the end of the day? And what do you need to do that? And then you make your support system look like that. But it, and then it's like, it sounds great, but it's hard. And you know what? It works great, but it's hard because yeah. you'll have people who say, I'm not aligned with that. And it's like, well, then you're not aligned with my values and my principles. So that stinks. That doesn't make me feel good, but like, you know, it's like, it doesn't feel good. So it's like, are you going to keep people in your corner who are going to make you feel bad for taking FMLA because you're having a baby? Or are you going to surround yourself with people who make you feel supported because you're, you're taking FMLA and you have a baby and ask you if you need help, what do you need? Like, I just think it's different things that we look at. Like you said, it's like, we're in a society where we need to produce, we need to make things happen. On one hand, you have people who are considered essential workers I haven't stopped since the pandemic started and I'm not complaining about that at all. I actually had to advocate through local government because I think at the beginning we weren't, social workers weren't listed as um, essential. The minute I saw that, I'm like, oh, I'm making some phone calls because do you even understand how essential we're going to be like a year from now? So Absolutely. you got sure that this is something you're looking at because our brain is what keeps our body going. And if you're saying mental health isn't, isn't like, essential, then we have this whole system wrong of what we're doing. Absolutely. People people just think the body just runs on its own and like, they're only looking like from like here down and they don't think about what's going on. Like, and by the way, I say here down because I'm looking at the screen, but I mean like from like, they're not looking at the impact the brain has on all of the functions. Exactly. So we look at that and it's like, okay, so now here we are. And what, what, you know, what do we value? What do we have? What are we doing? So you have, and then you have a group of people who aren't able to work because their jobs are mm-hmm. said to not be essential. Wow. What does that make you feel like when you make your career based on something that is essential? It's a value to you. You're being told it's not. And then you're being told you're going to get paid all this extra money to not work as you have other people who are making less money, essential staff, taking care of vulnerable population, dealing with stress and having to figure out how to make all this happen. And it's like, well, we're in a pandemic. You just do. And it's just, there's a lot of feelings about that. Mm -hmm. And then you have a chronic illness on top of it. And then you might have deaths in your family. And then you have, you're trying to figure out a way to continue to do all that and not feel like you're broken. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Most definitely. Right. Oh yeah. There's... No one talks about that. Nobody talks about that. Mm-mm. Sure don't. They don't. No. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and we I appreciate do. that, Carrie. We appreciate that. Absolutely. I tell my clients every day, it's okay. Scream, yell, say what you don't like. It's all yeah. good. So if anything, I'm hoping that it's going to make us see what's broken in the system and ways to fix it. I love that. There needs to be so much done with the system. Yeah. It's so and broken. I- 
Yeah, it is broken. But you know what? It's not like, let's point the finger and say whose fault it is. It's like, let's just recognize the system's broken and let's look at ways we can fix it. Like, it doesn't matter how it happens. We all know it's not working. So how do we fix it? Exactly. We, yeah. I mean, you look at people who are unemployed. Look at the, they're, they're struggling. They're struggling. Like we just, the jobs report just came out and it didn't grow as quickly. And one side saying, well, it's because you're giving too much in unemployment. Yes. And you have, and which is like, not true. People just aren't hiring. Yeah. Just you not have, hiring because the growth is slow. But you have people who are hiring and you have a group of people and it could be a small group and you're just hearing those people complaining about how there are people not working because they're getting paid more not to work than they would to work. Whereas I remember, and, and this could just be what I recall from a long time ago, if you were on unemployment and then a job came up and you turned it down, then yeah. you lost that unemployment. Like, but I don't know now with this, like, so if these people who are on unemployment, if they're offered work, are they just taking the person's word for like saying that they weren't offered work? Or are they, are, is there any kind of other checks and balances? Cause to There's me, it no just seems. Balances. They're, yeah. they're so overwhelmed in the system, right. but it's, it's more though that there's a, there's a very small population that is making more on unemployment, right? but the, the other side is there's a lot more people making less on unemployment yeah. that are actually seeking jobs and aren't getting them. I think if you weigh it out, the homeless population is increasing exponentially because yes. people can't find jobs. There's, there's also that, like, there's also that anxiety that's building up the you know, people want to weigh the economy based on the stock market. Well, the stock market is the economy based on rich people. Rich people invest in the stock market. The average person does not have a lot in the stock market outside of their 401k. So when you, when you're looking at the jobs rate, when you're looking at all that, it's not growing as quickly. Like the economy is K-shaped and I could go way deep into like this crazy whole economic yeah, discussion, but there's a lot of anxiety when it comes to the everyday person, just being able to financially hold things down right yes. now. And then post, you know, this whole post thing about like, am I still going to be able to find a job? Is the job that I have right now still going to be there post, you know, yes. post COVID? Cause I like, I hate using post COVID cause COVID is still going to be there. Going to be there. Post COVID. <laughs> It's not going away. No, it's not. So there, there's that. Like, I also have an anxiety about what happens if there's a variant or a surge of some sort that causes us to have to go back into lockdown. What's going to happen then? This country is not prepared for that. No. Mm-mm. We're not set up for that. Mm-mm. And that's totally, like, I, I know I'm not alone in that anxiety. Uh-huh. That's totally me, like being the planner that I am. I like to have a plan for everything. Well, yeah, well, think about people who have obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, mm-hmm. different things, um, autism, neurodevelopmental disorders who like to make lists and plans. Yes. Like, I want to know what's happening. It's kind of like, do we want to know, is there a snow day tomorrow or like right. anything like that? Like, trying to figure it all out so you can plan what you have to do. I know when COVID started, it was like, 
not feeling good. All right, you have to answer 15 questions before you have to know if you need to go get a COVID test or stay home for two weeks, all because I have a cold. Like that brings up anxieties and worries. And again, we're going to, if we go down the lockdown again, what does that look like? Right? Exactly. You know, is it, (laughs) and what is that going to look like? Because I'm just afraid, like not everyone's going to do it. There's going to be riots because we're asking people to lock down and then not everyone's locking down and it'll just go on forever. Like this last one did because people aren't following the rules. Like we're not New Zealand, like follow the rules people. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, there, there's just a lot of, there's, there's so many questions. And for people that are very type A organized like me, that is very anxiety producing. So again, the coping skills of I can't control that. So I think that's something that, that, you know, we need to talk about too, is like what you can control versus what you can't control Yeah. and learning to um, control the anxiety about the things you can't control. Yeah. That's a hard part because we want to control a lot of things that we used to be able to. Yeah. That we anymore, but we, we need to control the anxiety about the things we can't control. That's one thing we can control, how we feel about the things we can't control. Um, And I'm very guilty of building up a panic attack about things I can't control. I would would get to a point where you just have in your head like the worst case scenario. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's an automatic response though. And I learned that I would have that a lot. So I would have to stop it and get to the point of, realizing my thoughts are just visitors. This isn't true. And then like labeling it. What is that thought? Right. This is an anxious thought. This isn't true. Um, and your brain makes it feel like it's true. So it must be true, right? No, that's not, that's not true at all. Um, but it's a lot of that positive self-talk and like, we're going to be fine. And I always talk to myself as we, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. Let's just, and breathing helps a lot because it gets you back in your body. And I have to do this a lot. And it takes sometimes there are days I have to lay down in my office with nobody like in between clients or whatnot and just do the belly breathing. But I have it set up that way where I have kind of like a little mindfulness corner. So it's like, if I have to drop on the floor and do like a minute of belly breathing, I I have to do it. I have to get my body into that state because I have to get out of my head and I want to calm my body down and teaching kids to do that gets them at least used to it. You know, belly breathing. I have heard like a lot of schools now are implementing coping mechanisms for younger children yeah. and anxiety. And it's been really helpful um, because they learn it early so they can use it a lot later in life, yeah. which is, I think is fantastic because I know I wasn't taught that at a young age. No, was. <laughs> me either. No, I wasn't either. But I think a big thing was we were just, we did what we were told and that was it. But we're, yeah. I don't remember having to deal with anything like this Mm-mm. ever like I, we did have to crawl under our desks for a potential nuclear attack I do remember that and I remember tornado drills um that was but like kids now like with their active shooter active drills, shooter drills and, and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and now COVID I I just can't and now the internet too I mean, they're just exposed to so much, so much more, I think, than we were ever exposed to. Yeah. I can't imagine what the stress on them is going to do. Like, I think about now, I feel like, you know, you know, I'm Gen X and I feel like my generation, their bodies yeah. are breaking down. And I just think it's environmental factors. 
because no one really cared if we ate lead paint. I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm up to NX too, so I'm with you. Yeah. Like they were like, oh yeah, you're eating that toy. That's fine. And then you find out later it was totally lead paint. Um, but now kids, it's just a constant state of stress, constant. And I just worry about how it's going to break down their bodies and what kind of autoimmune diseases we're going to see in the future and what kind of, um, chronic illnesses we're going to see in the future with them because of all of this stress that they deal with at a young age. Yeah. Cause it, it will, it will do that. Like, you know, you see such a connection between trauma and chronic illness. Yes. So I, I worry, I do worry for the future because this, this is definitely not healthy for them. You know, if, if I feel like if we learn proper coping mechanisms and we teach them proper coping mechanisms, we can ward off some of that, hopefully. Hopefully. And I think it's important to know too, like a lot of people come from different environments and some of what's happening now could trigger things that they lived in in the past. I know some people wearing a mask causes a lot of anxiety because to them, it feels like they're being told to do something that they don't want to do, but also it's kind of like silencing them. It's like, and it's a trigger that is real. People can say, oh, it's not true. It does, but that's, it's, that's all in behold held of the person who's going through that. I know for myself that I had to travel during the pandemic. I remember leaving New York. I was fine. Soon as I got out of state, uh, my stress anxiety was totally down. Going back to New York, as soon as I got to that airport and had to put that mask back on, like tears just flew down my face. My anxiety skyrocketed. There were people everywhere and we're all, everyone's wearing masks and it just felt more restricted than it did leaving New York. For me, that realizing that I was like, wow, like I didn't know I was going to have such a physical, like bodily response. I was going to be crying hysterical. Like my body needed to do that, but it just was interesting the way you feel differently in different places. There were restrictions in both the States I was in Yeah, it, different restrictions. And you know, it's just the anxieties that come with that. But I mean, people are doing that when they leave their house and go to Walmart. So it's like, I could be going from New York to a different state. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing, leaving your house and going to Walmart where there's a thousand people. <clears throat> yeah. You're going to have experience. I remember when they, when they relaxed the restrictions here a little bit for inside the stores and it went from like 25 to 50% capacity mm-hmm. and I went to Trader Joe's to get something. And I was like, why is this store so crowded? Yeah. <laughs> And for me, it was super crowded and we weren't even at hundred percent capacity. You know, yeah. I had gotten so used to 25% capacity and I loved it. I was like, I could just go everywhere and grab everything. Um, but it was very anxiety producing because people were just too close to me. I'd gotten so used to that space. You know, I, I had gotten so used to people not being near me. And now I'm like, you're too close. I don't want you near me. Go away, go away. You know, it was like, shoo, shoo. Um, so I, yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take us time to get used to that again. I feel like, I mean, unless you're like a super, I don't know about, unless you're a super extrovert who just loves touching people. I am. Oh, 
people and yes it's it's been really rough for me because my personality I'm an extrovert I mean you know honestly I'm an ambivert but I mean I'm more of an extrovert I love being around my friends whenever I see them I want to hug them I have lots of nieces and nephews I just want to grab them and kiss them and it's it this was literally like killed me it's been so horrible I'm an extrovert too and it's interesting because if I didn't have my dogs because I live alone if I didn't have my dogs I'd probably be losing my mind you know Oh yeah. Because it's like, you see people, but it's not like, um, I mean, I have some relatives close by, you know, and now it's like, okay, we're at a point like where I, I feel comfortable. We're all vaccinated. I'm going to give them a hug. And if, if I get, if I get the virus, we're both vaccinated and hugging, then clearly it didn't work. But I'm like, how long can you go? It's just, it's changing who we are. And like, yes, and it's, you know, it's hard, but it's like, we're, we're, it's, we're figuring it out. And it's, it's really interesting. But like I said, you have people who are not touchy at all and they're loving this. This is heaven. Yes. I don't know. We're not allowed to. Yeah. Nicole and I have those guys. Like, I'm like, I'm like the lockdown happened. And I was like, yes, I like this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, the first couple of days I'm like, this is awesome. And then I'm like, uh-uh. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, no, no. <laughs> I joked, I'm like, I'm going to have all these volleyballs on my couch with different names, like Castaway. Yes. You know? I was like, this is what it's turned into. Exactly. Yes, totally, you guys. I am just party. like, I am just like, I love the quiet. Yeah. Not me. I'm like, somebody come over, please. Yeah. <laughs> come sit in my garage with me with masks and talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny how we've all reacted differently. Like yes. going back, going back to quote unquote normal is anxiety, very anxiety producing for mm-hmm. me. It is. But I think Nicole, if you weren't immunocompromised, would it be anxiety producing for you? No, no, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Makes it's sense. just not my personality. I would jump right back in. And I, I mean, even when we got released to go back to work, you know, like, cause we're essential workers. And so they said, I can go back in the office. It did cause anxiety because I was like, oh my God, what if I run into somebody in the hallway, they're coughing, yes, yes. they don't wear masks in my building. It's really scary. Right. Um, but I mean, I was so happy to see people, anybody. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yes. I felt the same exact way. And then being back in the office, I did, I saw people in the office but not as much and it was better than being home but it was still hard because it's like you want to be in that conference room and have a meeting but we weren't there yet we were just in offices doing zooms because we were trying to maintain which makes total sense it's just yes like you said seeing anybody I'm so excited but I think we don't have many extroverts at my office whereas I was more excited than most people so I had to kind of like realize that <laughs> okay maybe this isn't whatever I'm going to be able to get this that's fine <laughs> totally different for me I'm like I like seeing people but maybe like once a month the only thing (laughs) I miss is being able to see people at places like I miss brunch yeah my friends once a month because it exhausts me for about a week or two (laughs) see that I think is interesting now because we all have those different needs you know right and I think yeah but what the thing I want to point out though is that when I say exhaust me for a week or two, like for a normal introvert, it would exhaust them maybe for a day, but it exhausts because of the chronic illness. Yes. Literally exhausts me for a week or two. Like I, I am fatigued 
brain fogged, you know, maybe a headache, whatever. And it is long. It is like, it takes a lot for me to get ready. It takes a lot for me to go out. It takes like, I'm using up every spoon I have for like three days to go see people. So, you know, it's not just the introvert in me. It's also the chronic illness part of me. Mm -hmm. That's that. So like, that's why I think the, the lockdown was a relief for me because I wasn't pushing, I didn't have to push myself anymore to go do all this stuff. So I think even for people with chronic illness, this was a relief for a lot of people that they weren't using up all their, you know, and I'm just going to keep using the spoons. They weren't using up all their spoons all the time. And the anxiety is I'm going to have to go back to pushing myself all the time. Yes. So we've had to reevaluate where we are, what, what we want to do, what's going to happen. Um, and it's going to be, it's really hard to think about, oh my gosh, I have to go back to using up all those spoons to be around people, to be doing my job, to do all this stuff. And that's really hard. And that's why I encourage everyone to get a therapist. (laughs) exactly I always say that to people when they look at me like I'm crazy but I'm like I think everybody needs a therapist I I think it's so important I agree I tell them I have a therapist they're like my therapist is a therapist they go you want your therapist to have a therapist oh my gosh heck yes one of the first questions you should ask your therapist is if they have a therapist because (laughs) if they don't it's like they're holding everything in and no that's what I said I'm like that's to me is a red flag if my therapist doesn't have a therapist because it has to be processed. And not to say like they don't like they're bad therapists, but I think it's good practice for your own self-care, especially when you're caring for other people to make sure that you have your best needs and interests in, in a way where you're saying, look, I want to, I want to be able to do this professionally and personally the best I can. So how do I do that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. But yes, everyone should have a therapist and it's so important. And especially right now when, you know, we are really anxious and everything is changing. That's the other side of it. Yes. Everything is changing really quickly. Mm-hmm. So we are dealing with so much change. Um, that's also a stress trigger for a lot yes. of people. So there's, there's a lot of change management happening <laughs> for ourselves. Um, and that brings up a lot of stress. I think for us. Yeah. Uh, I like change personally. Um, I don't love this change right now, but normally I really, I'm a big proponent of change. Um, cause I think it tends to move you forward. I mean, I'm not against this change. Let me put it this way. Like I love that everyone is getting vaccinated. I think we need it. Like, I don't like that. Everything is shut down. I just kind of want to stay working from home and being a homebody and then going out when I want to. And I feel up to it. That's all. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what I want. Now, will that happen? Probably not. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of, I think that change is really difficult for everybody right now. Cause I got very used to like being locked down and being in their houses. And that's, I think, really scary yeah. for people. I mean, there was a lot of anxiety when we went into lockdown too. There was. And then now people got used to it and now they're having to flip the other way. And not having any control over the change either. And then, 
bringing those fears into, well, what if we go back into lockdown or what if, what if school's not in person after the summer? Like there's so many things that people think, and it's a lot of it is just fears because of what we we're experiencing right now. So Carrie, are people expressing that? Cause I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm alone in thinking like, what if we go back into lockdown? Are people actually expressing that fear besides like me and you? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I think there's a lot of people expressing both ways, you know, everything going back too fast. Everything needs to go back too fast. Or some people feel it needs to go back faster than it is. You know, you have you have people in so many different directions with it. But all those feelings are valid, you know? We're all like feeling different things, but they're all valid in, okay, well, we're all worrying about the future and it makes it harder than to stay in the present and to just kind of be here. But yeah. it's totally normal to be like, I'm worried because I need to plan for this. I know, I know people who are in... Um, grad school programs that were so excited. Um, And I'm not going to mention the school or anything. I'm just saying that I'm very excited to be in this program. Master's program was able to do it all online because that's how it was offered. And now that everything's opening up, they're told they have to go back to in-person. Well, they live six hours from the school and the school's like tough. So they're making them, they're making them disenroll. Yeah. I'm like, how do you do that? That's, that's awful. Terrible. How do you do that? And you're you're a big school that's like, yeah, like and program for social work. Okay. So that's not cool. But no, okay. it's really uncool. That's something I actually talked with somebody about and uh, a friend of mine. And it's like you kind of have to roll with it. Like, and it's terrible yeah. to think you have to say, well, things happen for a reason in that regard. But it's like, well, clearly the way the school responded to you doesn't sound like they're invested in students and if this is a social work kind of thing like and it wasn't clear from the get-go that really stinks but she's looking now finding other opportunities where schools are well well, even more welcoming of her like yeah we want you like of course we'll do it all online it's like interesting so I'm like that's not okay though it's not okay yeah no I mean just saying it look at your face you're like whoa it is like crazy, right? I am so appalled. I was yes. livid. Oh livid. yeah, see, so you're feeling exactly how I felt when I was talking to her the other day, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like, all right, whatever. But well, we're also in an age now where I think the past year and a half has has taught, and, and we've like I've seen this discussion in numerous environments. We're in an age now where the past year and a half has taught us that a lot can be done virtually. And a lot of people have found a lot of freedom in this virtual environment. They like that the fle- they like the flexibility of the virtual environment, and not everything has to be done in person. Um, now there are some things that need to be done in person, and I'm not dismissing that at all. But um, there's so many jobs that really you don't need to be on site for. I mean, the IT has definitely been way ahead of the curve for that, and a lot of companies have. Um, especially in the technology area, but like beyond technology, a lot of companies are making people come into work for absolutely no reason. But there is a reason they are. If you think about it, it's kind of like what we were just saying at the beginning in regards to how is it going to look when everything's back to normal, right? That socialization aspect and being around Mm -hmm. people is really important. And like where I work, it's a big thing. Like what I could do most days is I could probably do teletherapy from my house, right? 
But no, I'm essential. I'm going into work. I want to see my clients in there, but I have days that I have clients I'm only seeing online. I'm not allowed to stay home and work those days. I have to be in the office. I'm totally fine with that because I'm a person who wants to be in the office. I'm really glad I'm not. I'm told I don't have to stay home. Not having the option to stay home. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a bummer to say, you know what? I, you know, I'm not, I would love to just be able to work from home since I'm seeing everybody on the computer. But a big thing that I love about the agency I do work at is the fact that it's all about people and all being together in the same office and just like having that. And it's like, well, that's a value of mine too. I want to have that. So the fact that that's a rule in regards to, we want us to be there if we can be there. See, but here's, here's the debate. Like if you're in a job where almost all your meetings are held to be a zoom because you're talking to people all over the world. What is the point of sitting in the office? Well, a big thing is getting used to the fact that eventually we're all going to be in there and then I'll be in that same room. Right. So maybe but they're it's not going to all be in the same room because they're in a place like some people are in like, say Beijing and some people are in say, Tel Aviv and some people are in say London. So you're, you're talking to people all over the world. So what's the point of, of you sitting, paying rent in a building when you're all over the world? That's so true. You're, you're, you could save capital money by having people stay home. So there's, there's a whole debate going on about it. And in some companies are just literally making people come in because the boss is like, I need to watch what my people are doing. Not because they want the socialization aspect, but because they're so afraid that their, their employees are being unproductive. But the, the, the proof is in the pudding and the studies have shown that people have actually been more productive during lockdown than they have been. And for people with chronic illness, yes, it is the, 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 the option for flexibility not to say we always want to work from home, because I do believe that some meetings need to be held in person. I do believe in face-to-face, like therapy, right. absolutely face-to-face. You need to be watching body language and all that stuff. Um, but I think the option for face-to-face needs to be there. So flexibility is really important. I, and I think for people with chronic illness, it is an incredible option. And I think the past year and a half has really taught us that we can be flexible for people. Yes, we can be. So is it something that we look at as this needs to be a discussion with the, um, the Americans with Disabilities Act and saying that people who have chronic illness or disabilities or things should have the ability to work from home in regards to the fact of showing all the statistics for lockdowns and the productivity for that? when we're feeling that way, you know what I mean? It brings up good conversation. It does bring up an important conversation and it's, and it's hard because it's like, what do you reveal to your employer? What do you, what's an appropriate accommodation? So this, but it's, it's, it's also something that I think a lot of people with chronic illness are thinking about now because they've found themselves being able to be much more productive by having these flexible schedules. So when we go back to the new normal, what is their new normal? Can they have these conversations with their bosses? Is it appropriate to have these conversations? And I, I mean, I don't know that that's the scope of, of this episode, but I do know that that's a, that's a form of anxiety a lot of people are dealing with. Right. And that a big thing though, that I know is 
returning to work accommodations are not one size fits all anyway, no. based on what you said. But a big thing is we can't expect everybody to come back in. They're not, we're not all going to benefit from the same accommodations or measures implemented, which might make it even worse, right? So really, um, it's supposed to protect workers, but it might not be sufficient for us. It might not. It might not. It's, it's really, there's some big questions that come with it. And now I'm probably made some people really anxious by bringing it up. Um, <laughs> but really, don't look at it like anxiety. Look at it like, okay, we're making aware now this could be yeah. a possible thing. So now that we know that, what do we do with that information? We look at our state requirements and how, what well, can our, the Americans with Disabilities Act help with in regards to that? And that might be looking at, look at your job and see what your um, benefits cover, like FMLA. Some companies have intermittent, so you can use it as you need to. It's yeah. all depend depends on your plan. I mean, you might have benefit time where you're able to use that, where you you'd get paid sick time first, or some plans have benefits just for like FMLA. I know for myself, I have additional plans that I take out through my benefits for short-term and long-term disability because mm -hmm. I played the game of life many times. You always get the insurance because you never yes. know it's and, and I'm like, you know what? You don't know. And I'm not going to say, what are the chances of me needing to use this? Probably higher now that I'm thinking of this. That's right. So getting, <laughs> as soon as I think of it, I need it. So it's like, you know what? If I have to use it, great. If not, I have it. It comes down to, okay, let's look and see what we need to be able to do that. Because if somebody was to come and say like six months ago, you have to go back to work every single day. I don't know if I would have been able to do that with where I was in yeah. my life, be able to say, I can be in that office five days a week. Like we weren't vaccinated at that point. There was a lot of things going on. Who's to say if I wasn't feeling good, that stress goes up, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know what, if I can continue to do this, like, let's look at what I need to be able to do my job fully, but also take care of myself. And uh, will I be supported with that? I've been supported with anything that I needed in regards to what I needed for myself as a professional, but for my own, with my personal needs and my medical needs, if, if I had any, like I have allergies. So a lot of that impacted my anxiety because anytime I felt like, all right, I know what this feels like. I think I'm getting a sinus infection. It started the whole, well, you can't come here because that's a symptom of COVID. It's like, but it's not COVID. I've had allergies for 40 years. This is what it is. Well, you still can't come here. It's the same thing as COVID. So then I have to go to the emergency room and then they're mad because my doctor won't see me. I'm like, you guys figure it out. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I just want my allergy pill. Like give me what I need that I can't get because you're making me check off the boxes and see if I have cooties. Like it feels very just like, it doesn't feel good at all. And it's like, mm -hmm. and I have allergies and you're, you're making me feel like, so I don't even go to the doctor now when I have allergies. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take care of it myself because my stress will go up and it's going to make me sicker. So if I take care of it myself and just like do what I can and just hope it goes away and I don't get a sinus infection, that's less stress for me than me even dealing with going and being told they won't see me even now, you know, absolutely. So, and this is happening for people who don't have all the resources. So I think about people who don't have the resources or the ability to advocate for themselves in a way where they're just not going and then they're getting sicker and we're wondering why, where's the problem? Well, I wonder why, like here I am, yeah. I can advocate for myself better than 
a lot of people and I'm still being told we can't see you. Well, I'm going to say someone's going to see me and I'm going to fight for someone to see me, but most people aren't, are just going to be like, forget it. It's not worth it. Like if I get sick, not my fault, you know? And it's like, it is, it's dehumanizing in a sense too. Yes. But I think, I think the other thing with, with, with chronic illness, people like, you know, we are, we are our own advocates most of the time anyhow. And we are the center of a lot of doctors. So we are often, and, and a lot of our symptoms do tend to mimic COVID. Like I have, I will get a chronic cough because I have some breathing issues sometimes. So I'll walk in and they'll be like, do you have, do you have a cough? And I'm like, yes, but it's part of the reason I'm here. Like it's not COVID related. I'm here to see the pulmonologist. Yeah. Right. You know, like I'm in the pulmonologist's office. What do you think? Like, you know, they're like, do you have breathing issues? Well, yes, I'm in the pulmonologist's office. So, you know, usually they'll be okay if I explain why, but they, it's really hard now and you just, it's hard to advocate, but telemedicine has been really helpful. So that's, that's one of the things I look for with most of my doctors is it is whether or not I have, they have telemedicine. Yes. Also with chronic fatigue, telemedicine is, oh, it's just a savior. Great. Because then I don't, I don't have to do the whole exhausting thing of leaving and going, especially if it's just like a follow-up visit of like, how are your meds working? Exactly. And then that brings up a good point because a lot of insurance companies don't pay the same amount of money for telemedicine appointments or telehealth appointments yeah. or telehealth appointments. I mean, right now they are because we're in a pandemic. So, but yeah. the interesting part is it's like the value is the same, whether you're in the office or you're on a Zoom, you're getting the same as stuff done. So why don't we just make everything telehealth? teletherapy, telemedicine, and cut the cost of what it's costing us as people who receive services and also providers for this, because I'm thinking they're getting a higher rate of pay for face-to-face. Well, let's cut our costs and let's cut our overhead and have people work at home or stay at home or do things and save some money for everybody. It just brings up a lot of different things. If I don't have to go, and this was a big thing for me too, like, and I think about it as a social worker, but for, in my own personal stuff, I can't go to the doctor when I have allergies because I have symptoms of COVID, but my doctor's office didn't do any telemedicine. I had to go in for every office visit. So if I'm not feeling wow. out, I could go in, but yet I couldn't even be seen even teletherapy or telehealth medicine for them to even look in my throat on zoom to say, yeah, you look like you have allergies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just interesting. The whole thing to me is just like, I don't understand why. It shouldn't be this hard. No, Um, that's the whole anxiety producing thing about all of this is like, everything seems so hard. And, and I just wonder like post, you know, as we open things up, is it going to get, and I think that's, what's causing anxiety too, is the question of, is it actually going to be easier or is it going to be harder? Like, is it going to be easier for us really or not? Yeah. Is that the question? Like, do we actually go back to normal or are we going to have to get used to something completely new? And I actually think we're going to have to get used to something completely new. Oh yeah. And I think we just have to let certain things play out too. There's a lot we don't have answers to. We're not going to know. We have no idea. No, That's the scary part. But I mean, we literally have to take it day by day 
Yes. We you know? can't. Big thing is not getting stuck in the what ifs. It's yes. getting seeing the what's happening right now. Right now, it's raining where I am. Right now, there's nothing going on. Right now, the restaurants are open like a certain percentage. Mm -hmm. This is what it is right now. And I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I'm just worrying about today. And then when Monday comes, okay, what's changed? Still going to have to wear a mask when I leave my house. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to have to wear a mask at work. I'm still going to have to do these things. The more we worry about things we can't control, like we were saying, the more anxiety it's going to bring up in. And it's scary because we just went through a lot of stuff this last year that made that anxiety actually happen or our anxiety kind of validated. Well, I had every right to be anxious because look, it happened, you know, it like it matched what it is or yeah, well, we don't have to, we can sit here and say, it's okay to not know. And let's just figure it out as it comes. It's not easy to do that. I want to know everything right now. No, it would be nice. Like, so, who is that? Yeah. So I, so in, I, I kind of want to wrap everything up yeah. in kind of nice little bow at the end. So Carrie is, if you could give people some, like some overarching advice as we go into like this, like we start going into the post pandemic era, I'm going to call it. Um, what would be your overarching advice? As we continue on this, my advice would be to really, truly look at yourself and what you need in your life. Look at your values and your principles and make sure you're living your life aligned with that. That includes boundaries you need. That includes how you're going to process your thoughts and feelings about things that are happening. So if it's finding a support system through, through friends or different places on social media, whereas you're getting information to learn coping skills, if you're thinking, I'm feeling some anxiety, but I don't really feel comfortable reaching out to a therapist. A lot of people just don't feel comfortable. So maybe it's finding different, um, there's so many different kind of things on Facebook where you can get like tips if you just put in on the search, like anxiety coping skills. There's tons of memes and lots of things that lit, like will send you different places for self-help type type things. I would say definitely know what you need. Um, really be knowing how valid it is that your feelings are 100% valid. What you're feeling is our thoughts may not be. So we could be feeling things based on irrational thoughts. But a big thing is it's like, hey, it's okay to know that right now things have been so uncertain. So it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to have feelings that we don't understand and navigate this. I think a big thing in that is just saying, it's okay for me to learn how to navigate this. Um, and it's okay to ask for help if you need help. That's a big, a big thing. I would say definitely look into therapy if you feel like you're having any symptoms of anxiety or depression or anything that you're feeling like this is just something I can't do on my own. A lot of communities have a lot. There's a lot online. If people are not able to do the in-person, there's lots of online therapy um, services that I know I've heard from a lot of people. I know therapists who actually do it through there, but I know people who use it and they all love it. And I know that I, over the last year, just being able to give coping skills to my social worker 
helps me not only make sure that I have everything that I need for them, but it's helping give me new things that maybe I didn't try that I'm suggesting other people try. Um, grounding works for me really well. Remembering to do it all the time, not so much. So really getting yourself in the habit of being like out of that autopilot. You get up every day. We have our routines. I had to make being mindful and meditating part of my morning routine every day. It's happening. I have to do it. If I don't, I'm, I suffer the consequences in a way that I don't want to. My anxiety is much higher. So I have to do that. Um, it's knowing what you need as part of your daily thing. I wake up, get my coffee. I do my meditation, mindfulness, start my day. Knowing how is that going to help you in your, in your days. Taking things day by day, it's really important to do. We don't know what the future is going to bring. And being afraid of things that we're not sure of doesn't help. I do this all the time, so I'll say it. I'm always worried about things. And again, that's an automatic response. We have to teach ourselves not to do that. My whole life, I think I was probably raised that way. Just kind of like, you know, I would always just worry, well, what about this? What about that? Well, I watched a lot of people do that and that was normal to me. Well, it's not normal. It was just the way that some people are. Our brains go right to the worst case scenario or we know what happened. This is why, like for myself, one of my values is I don't watch the news. I can't do it. I if I need either. to know what's going on in New York, I get, I get a newsletter from Cuomo every day. Or whenever he sends the coronavirus update, it goes in my email. I just need to read the facts. Tell me what's happening. I don't need to hear that Joe Schmo down in this county did this. And then my anxiety is higher now because now I'm wondering if everybody in the world is going to be sick because this, he went everywhere, you know, like I don't need like that's just to me is just where we're looking at like a world where we're hearing all these stories where we're getting our fears even higher because of the stories that are being told that might not be a hundred percent accurate. Agreed. And then you don't get that, that like rebuttal is not anywhere, but on the back of the newspaper in small print where nobody's seeing it, you know, mm -hmm. that wasn't true. Well, like if you just don't watch or get yourself, you just get the information you need. Um, you'll find that your symptoms of anxiety and depression may change. That also goes with people you hang around with. If we're hanging around with or being around people who are just, having these conversations in ways, you'll know how your body feels after you interact with them. Are you feeling more anxious? That might be a sign that maybe you don't want to spend a lot of time with them because it's just not good for you. doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just, you don't want to be around that kind of conversation. I know for myself, I won't have political conversations about the virus or anything. I don't want to be in having those conversations. It doesn't do anything for me. I think everybody has a right to do what they want to do when it comes to getting vaccinated or not. I'm just taking care of myself with what I choose to do. I don't care what anybody's opinion is of what I choose to do or don't do. It's like, it's what's best for me. If it doesn't impact anybody else, then I don't need their, there's no re real reason for them to have any opinion on it. And I feel the same way people are, and I think everybody, and I love this about people, we have a right to make decisions on our own, regardless of if I agree with them or not, you have a right to make that decision. And I respect whatever people choose, you're doing it for yourself. And that's what we should be doing. I think, I think you've given us a lot to, to think about. I think you've given us a lot of coping me mechanisms. I think you've given us a lot of coping skills. I think you've talked a lot about thinking before we, thinking before we act, thinking before we react, you know, thinking through our feelings, thinking through our thoughts, um, you know, analyzing ourselves a little bit, which is, which is something we really need to do. And I keep I keep like honing in on this stress factor, but 
you know, stress and anxiety plays, play such a role in our overall health. And I think you've really helped us kind of examine that today, um, in relation to what today looks like and what kind of where we're going with everything. And, and I just, you know, I want to say a really big thank you for coming on and kind of walking through all this with us and, and how much we appreciate everything that you're doing and continuing Thanks. to do. And I love that you're working with students and, you know, I really think it's, it's a great thing because they need, you know, they say, you know, children are our future, whatever, such a yeah. saying, but, um, you know, being able to give them the coping mechanisms I, that we wish we had when we were younger is just huge. So thank you so much. And thank you for being on. Thank you, Carrie. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This was wonderful. I'm so excited you were able to come on the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And everybody, thanks for listening. And we will chat again next week. Have a good week. Bye.